Who is Jesus? You know, you maybe didn't wake up this morning thinking that the most important question that you would answer on this planet was that. But Jesus was not confused about who he was. People may be, they may have been back then, they may be today in our modern world, but when you come face to face with the real Jesus revealed to us in the scriptures, he had some wild things to say that we ought to consider. I want to read you a few things that Jesus said. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I, Jesus, am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. He didn't say, I am one of many ways, or I'm like a good way, a cool way, a preferred way. He gave one, like the definite article, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And then he said something that should make us wonder, and for those of us that follow him should make us rejoice, and those of us that don't should at least make us consider him. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, who is this man, Jesus? People started to write these things about him. They said, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then these biblical writers, people who knew him, who walked side by side with him, they began to reveal that he wasn't just a man. He was God himself. I want you to see this in Philippians 2.9. We're going to talk about it a little bit at the end. It says, therefore, God elevated him, Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That kind of covers it, right? Like every person is going to bow before him in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And if you are somewhere else, then I don't know where you are because I can't really think of anywhere that exists. It's not heaven, earth, or under the earth. And every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, how do you answer that question? Who is he to you? Or just who is he? But I think that question leads us to another question. What do you do with him? You know, as I talk to people about the Lord in church or even outside the church, you know, sometimes people say, well, that, that's awesome that you believe that about him, but that doesn't really apply to me or he's not meaningful to me. But I love a man named C.S. Lewis, if you're familiar with him, if you've read some of his books. He gave us a really good and really memorable way that kind of brings us face to face with this reality that you don't have to believe in Jesus and you don't necessarily have to worship him, but you cannot ignore him. He gave us this, this kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, a philosophical argument that was three L's. He said, when you hear words like these, like if someone came to you, which is what Christ did, and said, I have come from heaven, and I am the only way for you to receive eternal life. Like you only have three things you could say. You could say you are lying, right? Is that a viable answer? You could say, I don't believe you. But then you begin to look at Jesus' life and you see signs and wonders and miracles and you see this heavenly life that no one else could live and you see him die on a cross and he's buried and three days later he comes back to life and you go, hmm, this doesn't really seem like a liar to me. Like this man has gained nothing and lost everything to tell us the hard truth. So you can call him a liar, and, and we could walk out of this place saying, okay, well, Jesus just lied about those things, and that is true, but I think if you would take an honest look at him and his word, you wouldn't come to the conclusion that he's a liar. You also could say that he's a lunatic, which means he's crazy. You know, he's a few fries short of a whole Happy Meal. <laughs> but I think if you did that same examination, you looked at his life, and you looked at his words, and you looked at his ministry, and you looked at the fruit of his life, 
You know, I love the other day, I don't, I hate the magazines at like Safeway or Fred Meyer. Sorry if that's your occupation making those. I just, they're usually not very appropriate, so I just don't look at them. But the other day it said, you know, most influential men of all, like of all time or all history. And I was curious, and I was with a buddy, so I just said, dude, let's, let's check this out. And I flipped it open. And do you know one of the names was at the top of that list? Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that Time Magazine is the authority on who is influential and who is not influential, but I am saying that I don't think you could say he's a lunatic. You could examine his life and his words and his ministry, but I don't think that's the answer you'd come to. But if he's not lying and if he's not crazy, if he's actually telling the truth, the only other option is this man, Jesus, is Lord. Like when someone comes and says, I am God, and I've come from heaven to rescue you from my sins, and I'm the only way that you can experience eternal life. If he's not lying, and he's not crazy, like the only option for us is to say, then what must I do to inherit eternal life, Lord? Lord, what do you demand of my life? How ought I to live in light of this truth? And this is what we come to in Jesus. But even though this is the case, I think if we're honest, even in the church, many of us do not truly understand who he is. I think if we're really, really honest, we honor him and we say we follow him, but do we truly believe what the Bible says about him? You know, over these next eight to 10 weeks, I am like about to explode with excitement because we are going to get in God's word and see the glory and the wonder of the God man, who he is. Like, I can promise you, he is more powerful than you think he is. And he is more glorious than you know. Like, he is more sovereign than you can even fathom. And this morning, we're going to start this journey, but you're going to have to come back for the next, like, eight or ten weeks. It's like a Netflix series, but you can't binge watch him. You're just going to have to wait week by week, right? You have to come back to see who this man Jesus is. Because here is a reality we're going to see in Luke 24, is that it is possible to see Jesus without really seeing Jesus. But our Christian life, it depends on a right and transformational view of him. If you have your Bible in Luke chapter 24, we're going to read God's word. It says this. It's going to be a little while, so this is story time in church. Can you handle it? We're going to read, I don't know, about 15 verses, so you got to follow along with me. So Jesus has just been resurrected from the dead. People are starting to share this story, and some people are believing it, but some people aren't because it's so incredible. Like, it's, it's literally too good to be true. That's what miracles are. Like, it, it doesn't make fathomable sense to our human mind, and that's because it's not normal that dead people come back to life, right? So this, this, this story about Jesus who has died, but now he's back to life, is circulating. And it says, on that very day, two of his followers... Luke 24, 13, we're going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So Jesus was kind of the talk of the town, right? Many people thought he was Lord, he was God, he was the Messiah. But then he had been crucified as a criminal, so people thought, I guess it can't be true because God couldn't be crucified like a criminal. So people are now confused. He did signs, he did wonders, he did miracles, he raised the dead. Everything the Old Testament said the Messiah would do, this man Jesus did. But he's dead and he's gone, and how could that be God? So, like, don't you think you'd be talking about that? Like, that's probably better than whatever the gossip that pops up on your Google account is, right? Um, like, I, I don't like all the, I don't know, the media gossip, but like, you turn on Google, it's like, ugh, coronavirus, click it, no, don't click it. Like, I don't need to know everything. Okay, honest truth, last night, okay, I'm okay to say it. It wasn't bad, it just was coronavirus stuff, sorry. So, they're talking about Jesus, and while they were talking and discussing together, a wild, crazy thing happened. It's 
says, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Like, I think this would be pretty cool. Like, this morning, I was at the gym with a couple guys from the church, and what do we do? We talk about Jesus. I would love it if he just showed up. Like, you're here to work out with us, Lord. This is awesome. Jesus came, but here's what you have to see. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus comes to be with them, but they can't see him. Jesus is there. He's in their midst, but they don't recognize that it's him. And Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Like, like he doesn't know. And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? Like, don't you just love Jesus asking questions he already knows the answer to? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. So they're saying, we thought he was Lord. We thought he was our hope. We thought he was our salvation, but haven't you heard what happened to him? Haven't you heard that he died? And it's so ironic that they're sharing this with Jesus himself. It says, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So these men are walking with Jesus. They're in the very presence of Jesus. And they're hearing the truth. They don't know it's the truth. They think it's a lie. They think it's a mystery. They think it's just a fairy tale that Jesus had come back to life. And they're standing with the very one they're speaking about. But here's what happened. They could not see him. They could not recognize him. Like, I've done this before when like, how do I even describe the story? Like, you're talking about something and you realize like the thing you're talking about is the person you're standing in front of. You're like, oh, uh, take all that back, what I just said. Anybody been there? Like, remove foot from mouth. This is like the ultimate remove foot from mouth kind of moment because Jesus is there. But here's where Jesus begins to speak. Are you following me? In verse 25. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We're going to pray and we're going to read the rest of the story. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are alive. The Lord, I don't mean to spoil the end of this story, but we know God, this side of Calvary, that you live and you are alive. And Lord Jesus, you made an incredible promise. You said that where two or three would gather in your name, there you would be in their midst. That Lord, you are here this morning. And God, in the same way that you were with those two men on the road to Emmaus, you are in this place today. And God, many of us cannot see you. Lord, many of us are unaware that you are here. But Lord, just like these men, you are here among us. Would you open our eyes, God? Even as we sang that song this morning out of Ephesians chapter 1, Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, would you do a miracle this morning and open our blind eyes to behold the very glory of God? Lord, would you come and touch our hearts that are so hard at times and so dull to believe? 
And Lord, would you let the eyes of our heart be enlightened to behold you and to see you. Holy Spirit, do the miracle of opening our eyes to see Jesus. Glorify Jesus in our midst this morning that we could see him and behold him. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. amen. Now, I'm going to come back to this story, but there's three really important things that I kind of hit on a minute ago that we see in this story. Number one, it is possible to know about Jesus, but not truly know Jesus. You know, these, these men are actually recounting the facts of Jesus' death and resurrection. Like, they knew all the right stuff. You know, it's possible for you and I as followers of Jesus to have all the right answers. Like, if you grew up in Sunday school, you already know. It's like, who died for you? Jesus, who rose in victory. Jesus, who reigns for all of eternity. Jesus. And, like, that's the end of the story, but it doesn't, like, change how you live, right? So we see that just knowing the right answers in our mind isn't necessarily the answer. Like, we have to know the right answers. But these men knew all about Jesus, but they didn't truly know him. They didn't know his identity. They didn't know his power. They didn't know that he really was the Christ. Second, and this gets even more, a bit more radical. It says that it's possible to even be around Jesus, but not truly see him. You know, I think about Jesus' disciples. Like, there was nothing different about Judas than there was about the other 11. The 12 of them, they lived with him. They ate with him. They beheld his glory. Like, they were all there when he raised the dead. They were all there when he opened up blind eyes. Like, it is possible, like these men in the story, that you can actually be around Jesus, but not truly see him. You know, there's some other stories in the Bible, and it's, a, it's another message for another day why maybe they couldn't actually have seen him. But you know, we see this story when Jesus has risen from the dead, and it's with Mary Magdalene. And she's at the tomb, and she's, she's in travail because she thinks they've stolen Jesus' body. And she's searching for his body, and, and Jesus himself is there. And she goes, you're the gardener, right? Like, you're cleaning this place up. Where have you put his body? Like, she's speaking with Jesus. She's with him, but she can't see him. Like, I do not want Jesus to be in our midst and to miss him. You know, all throughout his ministry, there were people who saw him and people who didn't. He was the same man. He's walking through the crowds, and one woman says, there's power to heal me. I'll grab his garment. It doesn't say there was anything special about her. She just had faith. You know, there's a whole crowd, and one little guy named Zacchaeus had faith to say, I see something in that man that I need. Like, everybody saw him, but only Zacchaeus saw him. Now, maybe there's a better word in English, but I'm using the same one, but you know what I mean. You can see something or you can't see something. And these men are with him and they're seeing him, but they don't know him or see him. And third, you can even hear about Jesus' miraculous works yet not truly understand him. <clears throat> like they're talking about his resurrection and they still don't believe it happened. You know, how many times do we profess, like, yes, I love Jesus, and I worship him, and I know him, but our lives have no resemblance to this word that he calls us to live. Like, we might be able to tell all the stories. Like, we might be able to get on Instagram and be like, let me tell you all about Jesus. But are we like these men? We're walking beside him. We see him. We're in his very presence. We're even, in an Old Testament kind of way, recounting the great works of God, but we don't see him. So what's the answer then, Right? Because I think if we're honest, no matter whether we follow Jesus for five minutes or 50 years, all of us see him in part, but we don't see him fully. All of us know him in part, but we don't know him fully. All of us have a measure of faith, but if we're his followers, we probably don't have the amount of faith that we want. And here's what we see, and I'm going to finish this story. 
is that every single one of us needs two things in our lives. And it's not just a one-time experience. It's kind of a process. What we're going to see happen to these men is that we need a revelation of Jesus in his word. And we need an encounter with the person of Jesus. And we're going to see that both of these things were crucial. You can't just have one or the other. Like we have to behold him and see him and understand him with our mind and in our heart through his word. You know, there's a famous kind of, I don't know, quote that says, the heart can't rejoice in that which the mind rejects. Now, I think it would be fair to say that the heart can't rejoice in that which the mind doesn't fully understand or at least that which the mind has no knowledge of. You know, if I told you like a great Indian food, like, isn't pani puri delicious? Like, you don't know what it is, but when you've tasted it, oh, it's so good. <laughs> My dad knows, but I don't think he ate it yet. Like, you can't delight with me in pani puri because you've never had pani puri. But once you've tasted it and you've experienced it and you've encountered it, then you go, oh, more, man, do I know what it is, right? Like, we can't love something we don't actually know about. So what do we need? We're going to see this here in Jesus' word, that these men had to come to understand Christ in the scriptures, which is what we're going to do for the next 10 or 12 weeks, and they had to have an encounter with him as a person. Let's see it in the story because it's so good. So after Jesus opened the scriptures, he starts taking them through the Psalms and through the prophets and all these Old Testament scriptures, which we'll get to some of them, not all of them. In the next eight weeks, he's showing them, like you don't understand a suffering Messiah, but it's here in Isaiah 53. And you don't understand that God himself would come as a man, but here it is in the book of Daniel, the son of man coming. Like you don't understand it with your mind. Let me show you where it is in the scriptures. Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to get rid of the prophets. He didn't come to say, you know what, like 70% of your Bible, just chop it out and you can go to Pastor Steve's pizza party a lot easier now. <laughs> he says, no, 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 no. I want to show you that who I am and what I'm doing is the fulfillment of what happened here in the Old Testament. So what happens in this story? He does this, but even still from the scriptures, they don't fully understand. So they drew near to the village to which they were going and Jesus acted. He, it's, I, I don't, it's funny. It's awesome. Jesus acted as if he was going to keep going further. But they urged him. They said, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and day is now far spent. So Jesus is pretending to go further, but do you know what he actually desired? Someone to give him an invitation. Someone to welcome him. But do you know what? The evidence that we have is that if these men would not have asked him to stay, he would have left. And they would have left knowing the facts about Jesus. They would have left actually spending time in his presence and hearing the wondrous works of God, even the Old Testament interpreted to them by Jesus himself. Like, forget me as a preacher, go hear Jesus interpret the Old Testament. That's way better, you know? Like, whatever podcast you're listening to it, just drop it and go subscribe to Jesus' podcast. But do you know that if these men wouldn't have invited him to have an encounter with the person of Jesus, they would have left still in unbelief? And so it says, Jesus gives them a little test. Like, I'm just going to keep going. But he knows, I hope they invite me. Because if they invite me, I'll reveal myself to them. And they beg him, Jesus, Jesus. Well, they don't know who he is. They say, don't go. Stay. Like, the night's, the night's already late. Like, come and stay the night. Then you can go tomorrow. So Jesus went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread. Does this sound familiar to you? Like the night before Jesus was crucified. And he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to them. 
And the Bible is like the best work of literature ever because it's like climax after climax and cliffhanger after cliffhanger. And right when Jesus does this, he begins to break the bread and bless it. What happens? Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And for the first time, they was, oh my word, this is Jesus. Like we've been walking with him and we've been talking with him and everything those women said was true. But what happened? Once they saw him, he vanished from their sight. And he's gone. And that's another message for another day. So the two said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. When they found the eleven and those who were with him gathered together, and they said, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. These men had gone from knowing about him and being in his presence and even talking about him but not truly knowing him. And in an encounter with Jesus, through his word and through his spirit, they were changed. And they were the very ones saying, yeah, the women are telling some idle tale. And they go, you know what the women are saying? It is true. (laughs) Like those ladies were right. Why? Because they had a revelation of Jesus in the scripture. And they had an encounter with Jesus' person. You know, over these next eight or ten weeks, that is our prayer for you. That as we open up the scriptures together, we're on a journey together. That as we look at these scriptures, I pray that faith would grow in your heart. And you begin to go, I see it, I see it, I see it. I understand it, I understand it. Jesus is Lord, and he is God, and he is Messiah. And that that would begin to transform you from the inside out. And as you do this... It wouldn't just be an encounter with a book, which I love the Bible, but we serve a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. What's the purpose of this? To lead us to the person of Christ. You know, you won't get to heaven someday and like on the throne is the Bible, like good to see you. I love the Bible. Like I've been studying the Bible for quite some time. But this book is meant to lead us to a person. That like these men, your eyes would be open and you could go, when I am around Jesus, my heart burns. There was a way they used to refer to early Christians and they called them people of the burning heart. And every person who had truly known Jesus described this experience that my heart burns inside of me. That when I read the word, that when I worship him and when I pray and when I walk beside him through his spirit, like there's this intangible experience that we, you can't like put a thermometer like, is my heart burning? But when you've had it, you know it. And it's not meant to be a one-time experience. We're meant to live with a burning heart that burns for Christ. If the worship team wants to come up this morning, you know, that is my prayer for us. And what I don't want to do is make you think this is like a one-time thing that happens, you know, like with weight loss or exercise, I guess. I think sometimes people are like, well, what's the secret? It's like, well, I don't know if there's really a secret. Just move more, eat less, and you'll probably be doing pretty good. But we all know it's a process. And I think this relationship with Jesus is this never-ending continual beholding him in his word and communing with his person. And through this experience, we are absolutely changed and transformed. I hope that's clear to you. You know, every morning, honestly, the delight of my life is to wake up to get a good cup of coffee. Thank you, Lord, for coffee. 
Pete is probably like, stop drinking coffee, John. It's too much caffeine, but I love it. <laughs> and I look forward to every single morning saying, Lord Jesus, good morning. You're awake. You've been up all night. And as I read this book, he becomes real and he becomes clear. Not that he wasn't real before. Not that it, he comes to an existence because of my reading of the scripture. But because we're so blind to it. Because we're so distracted. Because we live life so busy and we're doing all the things that are important, but we can miss the one thing that really, really matters. And we, we can be busy walking through life and Jesus is right there by our side and we don't even know he's there and we miss him. So every morning I just delight in getting up and beginning to read this book and he changes me and he transforms me and he washes me and he gives me hope and he gives me strength and he gives me courage. But can I tell you something even better? What you can't see is that he's just sitting on the other side of that table and he's there with me. And he invites you for a lifetime, but also for these next eight or ten weeks, that you'd have a revelation of the written Logos or Logos Word of God. So we need to be people of the Bible. I would, I would argue that you cannot truly have a relationship with God or Christ apart from the Scripture. That is how he has chosen to reveal himself to us. So we're people of the Logos, the written Word of God, but we're also people of the Rhema, the living Word of God. You know, in John chapter 1, it uses this amazing word to describe Jesus. It said, and the word became flesh. That this word, like the revelation of God to us, took on a body. And as we read the scripture and commune with the God-man, Jesus Christ, we're changed and we're transformed. And this was so important to the biblical authors. This could be a whole message. I'm just going to fly through it. Can you handle like three points? Why is this so crucial to you? And why is this so crucial to I? You know, number one, Paul prayed that the Ephesians would see Jesus rightly and the incredible hope and power available for them in him. Paul realized that as Christians, we can serve him and follow him and love him, but still be blinded to him. And he says, I fall on my knees and I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Like, I wish we could just unpack that for hours. Like, that is the hope we have. That this very same power that was worked in Christ when he was raised, like, lives in us. And it's working inside of us. And Paul says most of us live our whole lives not being aware of that. Like, it is true. But we're just walking around and Jesus is there and we're doing it in our own strength. He goes, there is power available. There's hope for you, like the immeasurable greatness of his power that works in you and I. And I pray that we would see that more, but it's a, a work of the Holy Spirit that that happens. Number two, a right vision of Jesus will sustain us in the Christian life. Paul says, how are we going to make it? This morning, are you tired? Are you weary? Do you feel like quitting or giving up? Paul says, the one answer is to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising and shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. 
Like, what's the answer? Like, you just fix your eyes on Jesus. And when your heart is broken, you fix your eyes on Jesus. When your heart feels overcome with sorrow or with bitterness or with temptation, you fix your eyes on Jesus and He will sustain you. But it's a, a work of the Holy Spirit that He'd open up our eyes and open up the eyes of our heart. And the third thing is that beholding Jesus rightly transforms us. That's a good word. As we behold Him, as we fix our eyes on Him, as we fix our gaze on Him, what happens? The Bible says you will be transformed into His image. Like this gets me excited. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. It says we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Like, is anybody else excited that you get to be transformed from a sinner to a saint? That you get to be transformed from somebody who's broken to somebody who's healed? Like, do you get excited? They're like, I get to trade all my sorrow and all my sadness and all my sin. Everything ugly comes from Johnny and everything good comes from my father. And every single day as you behold him in the word and you commune with his person, he changes you. He transforms you. Like this is the joy of what it means to be a Christian. Like what else does God offer us besides himself? Are you going to suffer? Yes. Will it be difficult? Yes. Will it cost you everything? Yes. But do you know what you get? You get Jesus himself. And you get to be changed and transformed. And one day you will behold him. And the Bible says you will be just like him. Holy and pure and spotless and blameless. Because you beheld Jesus. And that's really big, grand, holy stuff. But do you know what it looks like? It looks like you tomorrow. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and your, your kids are sleeping and it's like heaven on earth. It's like the one quiet minute you have of the, your existence on this planet. And you go, God, I got five minutes to be with you today. Lord Jesus, speak to me. Lord Jesus, open my eyes to behold you. I need strength today. You're going to work and... Hopefully you did it before, but even if you didn't, you just throw on some worship music in your car and you're just driving and you go, Jesus, I just fixed my eyes on you. Maybe you're listening to the Bible. Maybe it's on your lunch break and you're reading scripture. Maybe it's in the evening with your family and you pull out that Bible. And what begins to happen? Your home begins to be a temple for the Holy Spirit to fill. And you begin to be changed and transformed. Why? Because people who have rightly seen Jesus are changed people. You know, if you feel like a sinner this morning, if you feel like you got issues, problems, <laughs> do you want to join the club? <laughs> do you know the Bible is just full of stories of a bunch of broken, lost, sinful people? Theologically just dead people that Jesus came and changed and transformed? People like Peter, who is the biggest screw-up of the New Testament, but Jesus turned him into a powerful man of God? People like Mary Magdalene, who was just filled with demons and lost? But she got invited into this relationship with Christ and she began, she became the first witness to his resurrection. They said that she would be in the upper room and she was there when the Holy Spirit was poured out. People like Paul, you think you're bad? He was a murderer, a killer. And he had this moment when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And as he studied the scriptures and he was changed. People like Stephen, who as he's being murdered and martyred and killed, as he looks, he lifts his eyes, and he says, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. And what happened? In that moment, as he's beholding Jesus, he's transformed. 
And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And he breathes his last breath. Like, where does he learn that from? You don't learn that from how to be martyred for dummies in Barnes & Noble. He learned it from beholding a Savior who gave his life for sinners like you and I. People who've rightly beheld Jesus are changed and transformed to look like him. You know, we're going to end service a bit different today. Before we close, we're just going to take a few minutes, not a long time, to just sing this chorus we sang earlier that says, Spirit of Wisdom Revelation, open my eyes. I want to see you. And right where you're at, you can sit or you can stand. Could we sing this together? Before we close service, we want to behold Jesus. We've done it in his word. But my prayer for you right now in this moment is that Jesus would be real to you because he is real. That he would fill this place. Lord, we welcome you right now. Open my eyes again. In spirit of a revelation, open my heart. Spirit of a revelation, open my eyes again. Spirit of a revelation, open my heart. Cause I wanna see, cause I wanna see Jesus high and I. Can we lift our hands and sing, I want to see? And I, oh, I want to see you. And I want to see you. See you right in Jesus. Open our eyes. I want to see you. Can we just sing this two more times? I want to see you. Open our eyes, God. be a day, the Bible says, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You know, the book of Revelation, it says, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will, what? See him. Right now, many people don't see him. Right now, many people live their life like those men on the road to Emmaus. They don't see him. 
The Bible says, there is a day coming when every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. As we close this morning, I want to tell you, there is a day that's coming. All of human history will come to the day that every single human who ever has existed is, existed, is existing and will exist will see Jesus. They will see his eyes burning like fire. They'll see his hair in perfect holiness, white as wool. The Bible says they'll see his face shining like the sun in all of its strength. And for some of us, this will be a day of great rejoicing and celebration. Like a bride waiting for her husband to come home, we will rejoice when we see him. But the Bible says for other people, it will be a day of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Because they'll say, I wish I would have known his glory. I wish I would have known that he was Lord. I wish I would have known that he was God. I wish I would have known that he was the only way to the Father. But on that day, it will be too late for those who did not behold him in life. And this morning, if you would close your eyes, I want to give you an invitation. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he would die on a cross that you could be saved. You know, why do we sing? Why do we rejoice? Why do we do all the things that we do? It's because all of us were lost and broken sinners that Jesus in his mercy saved from our sin. He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb, but he rose from the dead. And the Bible says that Jesus is alive. And he offers you eternal life and salvation. And if you are here today and you say, I want eternal life in Christ. I want to turn from my sin and trust in Jesus. I want him to wash me and cleanse me from everything I've done wrong and receive his eternal life. The Bible says all you have to do is call on his name and he will save you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not tomorrow, not next month or next week. No, today is the day of salvation. With every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Johnny, I want to give my life to Christ, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you. Is anybody here? You know, every single week we have people who surrender their lives to Jesus. Right now in this moment, if there's anyone here that says, I want to give my life to Christ. Awesome. Thank you. And I want to pray for all of us believers that are here. You know, if you just say, that your desire is to see Jesus more clearly, which I think is probably most of our desire. Would you lift your hands? I was going to pray for us. If that's you, say, I just want to see Jesus more clearly. This is for believers. Lord, I pray for every single person that has a desire in their heart to see you more clearly, to behold you more clearly. Would you do a miracle in our hearts, God? Would you do a miracle in our lives, God, to see you rightly, to behold you? That Jesus, I pray that we would be a people of the burning heart, God, our church will be marked by people who live with burning hearts for you, Lord. And Lord, not just here in church, but tomorrow morning as we go to work, as we go to school, as we take care of our families, that God, we would live every second, every moment changed and transformed by beholding you. Lord, we love you. We give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus. Everybody said.